Welcome to the Kerrville Bible Church Podcast. In addition to bringing you weekly sermons from our pastor and other speakers, we are also seeking to provide you with additional content and connection to encourage your soul, especially during this time of separation due to the COVID-19 outbreak of 2020. Listen in as our pastoral staff, consisting of pastor teacher Chris McKnight, associate pastor Scott Christensen, worship pastor Toby Baxley, and youth pastor Heath Gregory discuss a variety of topics from the Bible and other sources during our weekly staff meeting. Now, here's Chris McKnight with this week's discussion. Father in heaven, as we come to have this uh, time of devotion with um, uh, our staff here, um, Heath and Scott and myself, we uh, would just ask that you would guide us and direct us. We thank you, Lord, that you're on your throne, that you're faithful and just, and that you're completely and utterly trustworthy. And we thank you that we have uh, a great hope, a living hope. Our hope is Christ and his soon return. And uh, as we talk about various things in this uh, devotional, Lord, we just ask it would be encouragement to each one of us and to those who might listen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, where I wanted to go today was uh, the result of a text from Scott this morning, um, bright and early, on um, this guy's article on ninemarks.org. So if you're out there listening and you want to go read the whole thing, because I'm not going to now, I'm just going to read parts of it to get the discussion going. It's on ninemarks.org. The title of this article is Four Reflections After Listening to 18 Hours of Sermons in America's Biggest Churches. My first thought when I saw that title and what the guy was doing was, I just thought, wow, that is really creative. What what an excellent idea um, uh, to do with some of your extra time. And and so this particular writer, Colton Corder, um, went out and listened to four sermons from each of these churches Uh, He picked the nine biggest evangelical churches in the country, listened to four sermons from each one of them, and then wrote this article called uh, Four Reflections. Now, my initial uh, observation was that he left out the largest church in America from his list. That, of course, is Joel Osteen in Lakewood and Houston, And um, I'm assuming he left it out because he didn't want to put it in the category of an evangelical church, which says a lot right there by by silence. Uh, But I want to read the first part of this, uh, and then I'll give you his four um, reflections. Have you guys read it? You both read it? Okay. Okay. So here's how he begins. He says, uh, what's the preaching like in America's biggest churches? That's the question I set out to answer. I listened to four sermons each from the country's nine biggest evangelical churches. And here they are. Number one, Church of the Highlands, Birmingham, Alabama. Roll Tide. Number two, North Point Ministries. I think that is uh, Andy Stanley in Alpharetta, Georgia. Gateway Church. Uh, You may be familiar with it because it's in South Lake, Texas. Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio. Christ Church of the Valley, Peoria, Arizona. Of course, Rick Warren's Church, uh, Saddleback Church in Lake Forest, California. Christ Fellowship Church, Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Elevation Church, Matthews, North Carolina. And Southeast Christian Church, Louisville, Kentucky. 
Elevation Church's uh, uh, Stephen Fergus. Yes. And the last one is the Kyle... Eidelman. Eidelman, yes. Well, some of you may be familiar with Kyle Eidelman. Um, he's the one at Southeast Christian Church. The article goes on and says, with an average sermon length of about 30 minutes... These reflections are based on approximately 18 hours of material. As I listened, I found several common threads. These threads uh, will make up most of this article, State of American Preaching, if you will. <clears throat> so here are the four observations that he came up with. Number one, the gospel at best was assumed. Most of the time, it's entirely absent. Number two... Repentance rarely comes across as something urgent and necessary. Instead, it's either optional or not worth mentioning at all. Number three, while the prosperity gospel is absent, its shadow lurks in the background. And number four, the use of the Bible generally fell into two categories, misuse or abuse. <clears throat> And before I open it up to these guys and we'll start talking about it, I had one more uh, observation, and that was just even on the titles of the sermons. And certainly they're creative, but um, if a sermon title is supposed to be trying to capture the essence of the text, the idea in the text, uh, the, the point of the text, um, you, can, you can quickly see that very few of these sermon titles are probably even remotely related to a text of Scripture. So here are a few examples of sermon titles uh, from this man's uh, sampling. What do you see next? Uh, the robe of righteousness. The ring of authority. Mirror, mirror. Tenacity, target. Stopping a bad habit. No pain, no gain. And, of course, my favorite of all, WrestleMania. <clears throat> Here's another one, hide-and-seek. Uh, so, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah, what did you guys, you guys have all read it uh, this morning, I presume. Uh, what did y'all, what struck you? What did you think about it? Uh, I, I think the first thing that, that caught me, Chris, was uh, the importance uh, as a believer of knowing the gospel uh, and as a pastor knowing that our people are going to go out and listen to other people preach uh, and if you don't know the gospel you don't know if they're not preaching the gospel um, and so obviously the, the guy that wrote the article knows the gospel well and can articulate it well and so he was able to discern whether these guys were actually preaching the gospel and uh, I can't say I was actually shocked that he said that the gospel wasn't right. preached uh, right. But it definitely made me want to make sure our people know the gospel and and are aware if they're hearing it either from us or or from other people that they might be listening to. Right. Yeah, I would totally agree. All of this was not shocking, very expected. Uh, in fact, I think one of my thoughts was this is why they're big churches. Yeah. <laughs> You've yeah. got very uh, polished uh, presentations, very charismatic and dynamic communicators. You've got short sermons. It's not expositional. It's not heavy, hard to digest, and it's light on you're a sinner and Christ is your only way. It's it's light on repentance, and so it's like I think there's a correlation here between this approach to church and why they're the nine biggest 
quote-unquote evangelical churches. Um, Scott, you saw it first and sent it to us. What did you... Yeah, I think one, one of the interesting things to me is, you know, you often will hear that, that America, you know, the United States is, you know, very, still very religious, very, you know, when, when for example, compared to Europe, where, where churches are dying left and right, and Christianity seems to be on the complete downturn. Right. You know, you'll hear things that, that in America, it's the opposite. Christianity is growing, churches are growing, and so forth. And and those are always sort of interesting to me because what are they really based on? Right. And I think a lot of it is based on these kinds of churches that really are now the representative of quote-unquote evangelicalism but if you know, if you really examine what these churches are all about, they are not historic evangelicalism at all. At least in terms of the way Orthodox believing Bible believing Christians have understood that term to mean historically. Right. And so it completely waters down what the word evangelical is. And it's interesting that you should mention that Joel Holstein's church was not. Mentioned because I would begin to ask the question, well, what distinguishes Joel Olstein's church from these churches? Yeah, right. And I don't think there's a whole lot of difference. Um, yeah, his church would be, you know, his third point on here. Um, <clears throat> well, all of these would be true of his sermons, mm -hmm. for sure. But the third one, especially, right. the prosperity, prosperity gospel. gospel, is it's more it's more outright, but yeah. in, in these it's lurking. But it's a lot of this stuff under this section reminded me of, of Joel Osteen because yeah. the, the themes were... Winning, yeah. uh, winning. You can you can accomplish. You can be successful. You will win. Um, self improvement, self actualization. Um, these kinds of these kinds of concepts uh, were were kind of what's mentioned under that third point, and that describes every Joel Osteen sermon. Yeah. You know, um, pretty much. So, uh, I think something that stood out to me too is kind of what you just said there. Uh, it was a good reminder that we're, you know, we're not here for self-help. We're here to proclaim the gospel. The gospel is the only thing that changes people's lives. The gospel is the only thing that offers hope and peace and comfort, especially in times like this. And so, you know, I was really cut off by the fact that there was this common thread in, in all of these places where it was kind of this self-help. Like, hey, you can go do this, you know, pick, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and, and get on with it. Yeah. I like what our friend uh, John Standridge uh, likes to say um, as a pastor. And I think he even says this occasionally in a sermon to his congregation. You know, I am not your life coach yeah, <laughs> sort of thing. And so, um, yeah, um, the lack of repentance, that's one that certainly stood out because that's uh, something we have uh, harped on here forever. And, and uh, I feel like a broken record on that subject. And I feel even in, in our church sometimes that it's not understood or well-received or, or people still want to have a uh, gospel without repentance or a Christianity without repentance. And uh, I really appreciated that, that, that he brought that up as yeah. one of his four observations um, um, of of calling people to turn away from a life of particular and specific sins. Uh, it's not enough to just confess to God that you're a sinner. It's not enough to just say, God, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. But it's getting specific. How have you sinned? In what ways are you mm -hmm. sinning? And and that's where repentance, that's where the rubber meets the road. 
we can distance ourselves from repentance by just saying, oh, I'm a terrible sinner. I'm, a, I'm just a sinner, you know, and, and there, there can actually be a distancing from the real heart work of God's grace of, of turning away from specific sins and um, as God convicts you of them. So um, I, I really appreciated the, the, the author for bringing this out. Uh, it's never, it rarely comes across as something urgent and necessary. It's optional or not worth mentioning at all. He says, repentance was mentioned only a handful of times in the sermons I listened to. Um, Kyle Eidelman mentions repentance as a way to grow in Christian maturity. That's true. That's true because we're always repenting, but not if it's not true if he meant that it had nothing to do with conversion. Uh, Morris, one of the preachers, Morris says his daughter repented once and she was healed from migraines. Stephen Furtick, when speaking of the prodigal son, quips that the prodigal wasn't repentant, just hungry. And he goes on. But anyway. Um, the other thing that, that strikes me about, about these churches is it seems to fit the profile of... Um, there was a, a book written a couple years back now, and I can't think of the title of it, but I, I think it was written by a guy named Christian Smith. Right. And he coined the phrase... Uh, if I'm Moral. remember moralistic therapeutic deism, right, right, and that 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 phrase seems to really capture um, what really passes for evangelicalism, right, today. And, and so, what do you have there? You have first of all Christianity defined by moralistic, you know, do good, you know, I'm a good person, you know, uh, my, my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds kind of a mentality. So it's a works righteousness kind of gospel. It's tinged with this therapeutic language, which is, shows the, the incredible influence of, of the psych, psychological uh, worldview that has so predominated our culture that, that gets us away from, from the spiritual truth of Scripture. And, and then it ends up treating God in a deistic fashion, you know, namely that, that we're not talking about me who kind of sets the world in motion and then steps back and lets it just go as it will. He's not directly involved in, in, in any of our lives. And so, you know, he's just this happy-go-lucky God that just kind of steps back and lets things go as they go so that we can pursue our dreams and our, you know, and our, our plans, you know, and, and shape our lives and our worldview according to our own ideas. And, and I think that largely <clears throat> describes probably what you see in these kinds of churches and, and you're just sort of tacking on a bunch of God talk and maybe put a Bible verse here and there. Right. You know, two of the things jumped out to me. One is there's music coming out of a lot of these churches right. that that now you can you, now you have a better understanding of the theology behind that music, yeah. um, and it and it's really shallow and it's not deep theologically, right. uh, and it's often me centered, not God centered. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing I was just thinking here as we were talking is just. You know, we, we would probably consider all these churches like attractional churches. I mean, they probably have big buildings. They probably have lots of programs. It's all new stuff, modern. The speakers are very charismatic. Like, man, I like listening to this guy. But the reality is they're attracting people to themselves or to that building or that place. They're not attracting people to Jesus. Yes. 
Yes. You know, our attraction as a believer is to Christ. Mm-hmm. And my affection is growing for Him. And when you have a, have churches like this where these, these four things that stand out and, you know, you're not being attracted to Jesus. You're, right. you're not being, repentance isn't being talked about because <clears throat> sin is not being talked about. Like, right. you don't have to talk about repentance if you don't bring up sin. <laughs> right. And so... Uh, so what Jesus is it, ultimately, that, that they are presenting? But I mean, I'll take it a step further. So yes, Jesus is the ultimate stopping point, but we're attracted to Jesus through the Word of God. Mm-hmm. The Word of God is the means through which He is revealed to us. The true Jesus, the right, you know, and so um, it really, you know, it goes back to it's topical preaching. It's short, it's light, it's ear tickling. Um, it's not expositional, uh, so it, it doesn't challenge you mentally a whole lot, <clears throat> doesn't challenge your attention span a whole lot. Um, it's it's kind of uh, baby food, you know. And I'm sure there's a lot of truth in these churches. I'm sure there's a lot of things that are being said that are true, that uh, line up with the Bible. But it's, um, you know, it, it, it's kind of that spoon feeding. Um, my hope is, you know, God is sovereign. These people exist under His sovereign will. And I think a lot of times there are people that come to Christ in these kind of places. Um, and then after a while, they start reading their Bible and they start tiring of those mm-hmm. places. And God maybe is using some of these kinds of churches as a gateway into the faith. And, and folks are there for a while and then they kind of burn out on it. And then they move on to more solid churches that are often smaller. You know, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I think that happens sometimes. I hope that's how God might be using them. Uh, sent this article to, to uh, Blair Cushman. Uh, many of you who are listening will know Blair is uh, was here for a while. Uh, Redemption Bible Church at uh, in New Braunfels. So I'm just trying to find his response to this for a moment. Um, uh, he said, "I saw that the other day. So sad. Biblical, expositional, applicational preaching is rare in our day." Steve Lawson's little book titled A Famine in the Land is still apt. Mm. Yeah, I thought that was a good mm. a good summary as well. Um, to me, uh, one of the takeaways from this is it reinforces in my mind just how important it is for us to be very clear on the gospel and to not assume that right. with people who come into our church because this is the environment that a lot of professing believers are, are coming from. Right. And, and so we can't just assume that people really understand uh, the gospel well and, and the doctrine and the theology and, and, and the biblical foundation for, for where the gospel arises out of. And, and to me, it's just one more reason why expositional preaching and teaching is so essential to the life of the church and and just the clarity of the gospel has to be there. People are starving for the truth and they're not getting it. Right. I I agree with what you said 100%, uh, Scott. And I was even thinking, it's a reminder for us, right? We live stream a lot of stuff. We record a lot of stuff when we're preaching. Like We never know who's going to hear that. And do we want somebody to stumble across a sermon we've preached that doesn't have the gospel in it? I don't want to stand before God and answer that. Like, hey, this person listened to this sermon. Their gospel wasn't in it. So, uh, 
reminder. One of the things we do, not all of our church members will know because you're not visiting the church for the first time, but uh, for years now we have sent out to every visitor that gives us an address a little book called What is the Gospel? And um, we've recently transitioned from mailing out that book to, well, we will transition when we have church again, um, to a tract uh, from that book um, that will be a lot easier to mail and, and cheaper, but um, shorter. <laughs> so <clears throat> some of you may remember we did that book as a Sunday school class a couple of years ago that I taught and, um, and walked through it chapter at a time. And it's a really excellent resource to, to kind of get to this. So, uh, all right. So what is the gospel? Let's, let's present the gospel. Then if we're going to talk about it, what is it? Where do we start? I like a, I like a clear, concise, uh, you know, four-part presentation of God, man, Christ, and response. Okay. Uh, we've talked about this in the youth group, uh, and obviously it's numerous when you start talking about God, but uh, starting with Him as the Creator, the Holy One, uh, the, the perfect, righteous, set-apart One, and uh, how He created us in His image, and He made us to be with Him, and... Uh, unfortunately, there was a fall uh, in the garden. And that's man choosing to really love themselves more than they loved God and wanting what he, uh, what he had more than what they had. And, uh, and trusting the word of the serpent over the word of God. Yeah, being <clears throat> fooled, right? Being deceived, which is uh, ever present in our culture today even. And, uh, and then knowing that uh, God in his love and in his foreknowledge sent Christ that would be the perfect substitute for us, that would... Uh, Take on, take on our sin, take on our punishment, uh, so that we don't have to. Uh, but there is a response to that, and the response is believing in, in faith and repentance, uh, and living that life out. It's not a one-time thing. It's a uh, ongoing, daily, daily dying to self, daily recognizing your sin. We talked about confession and uh, forgiveness in our devotion at the house this morning, of recognizing sin daily in your life, uh, confessing it to Him, and turning from it. I think we honed in on the one piece of that, Christ. Um, We talk about then the person of Christ and the work of Christ. Mm -hmm. So the person is fully God and fully man in one person. This is the God-man, and he is uniquely qualified and equipped to be Savior for sinners. In fact, uh, so unique that there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other path, right? There's no other way to the Father because there's no one else who was fully God and fully man. And so we talk about his person and then we talk about his work. And his work is summed up simply in death, burial, and resurrection. And you can go deeper on all of those. But I think if we we honed in on the death part of that and what's missing in these nine churches and what was missing in the sermons the guy heard is the message that we are under the wrath of God. We are condemned already for our sin, um, that we are enemies of God, re- rebels against His law and His will, and, we, and, and God's um, just punishment sets upon us um, until or unless we put our faith in Jesus Christ, who took that punishment. And so we got to get to the heart of the cross at some point, right? The atonement that he was bearing the wrath of God in our place. A substitutionary propitiation. Of course, you wouldn't necessarily use these words in evangelism, but this is at the heart of of our good news, that that the God-man, the innocent Lamb of God, took upon himself 
our sins and was treated as if he had committed all of those sins uh, so that we can be treated as if we have committed all of his righteousness. And, <clears throat> and so this is what's been lost in the broader evangelical church. It's a, it's a bloodless gospel. It's a crossless gospel. What's been lost is what happened on the cross was the Father was pouring out His wrath on His own Son in our place as our substitute. All right, and so that, that's what we need to always get back to and, and never, ever, ever lose, the substitutionary, vicarious atonement. And I think the resurrection is important in there too because the resurrection is, is God's stamp of approval that what Christ achieved on the cross truly did achieve it, its work and, and, and furthermore demonstrated that, that the result of sin, which brings this curse of sin into this world, it brings death, it brings pandemics like COVID-19, uh, it it it, uh, it demonstrates that evil has penetrated not only our individual lives but penetrated this world, and Christ's resurrection demonstrates that He has exerted the full power of God over all of those things and has achieved victory mm-hmm. over those things, and that when we place our faith in Christ, we too have that victory yeah. over Amen. sin and death and evil. Amen. Amen, amen. All right, we're at 24 minutes and 47 seconds, so we're going to wrap it up with a closing prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God, as Paul calls it at times, and this good news that despite our sin, uh, despite a man's rebellion against you, you have done what was needed on our behalf. Uh, As Augustine said, God gives what God requires. And uh, we thank you today for the gift of Christ. Uh, We thank you for our hope. And we pray that we would uh, preach the gospel to one another and to ourselves and to those who most need it around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Kerrville Bible Church Podcast. In future episodes, we would like to answer your biblical and theological questions. Send them to us via email at questions at kerrvillebiblechurch.org or leave us a text or voicemail at 830-321-0349.